Yeah, well, um, to give you a, a brief summary, um, I, I came in contact with Bitcoin quite early and it took me many, many touch points to take it seriously, actually. So um, a couple of my friends, they uh, actually started um, building on Bitcoin and also um, started building their own blockchains back in 2013, 14. And um, I, I didn't think of, like, I didn't take it seriously in any way <laughs> back then. And um, yeah, I took a close look in like 2015, 16. And uh, I had quite a prolonged um, shitcoin phase, to be frank, and uh, was caught up in unstoppable code and the world computer and all the other um, things that were promised back in the day. And yeah, it took me a while to really discover the profundity of Bitcoin. And um, I, beca I became more, more and more convinced that money is a winner-takes-all phenomenon. And um, I can't really give you a date when I quote-unquote became a maximalist <laughs> because it was also gradual progress <laughs> but uh yeah the last couple of years now i've been interested in bitcoin only and i started writing um like two and a half years ago or so purely about bitcoin and um yeah that led to me writing 21 lessons and some other things and here we are now <laughs> yeah so yeah you you wrote some fascinating articles and uh, and of course 21 lessons so first thing for thanks for doing that it really helped you know a lot of people to understand bitcoin in a lot of better ways and yeah and and what like how you converted from a shit coiner or let's say a multi coiner to bitcoin only like what tricked you or was it a process a long process or it's like a moment you realized that you know bitcoin is the only thing that matters Hmm, that's a very good question. Um, that's a really, a really good question. I, I think it, every, like everything for me was a process, and it took me quite a long time. I think the biggest hang-up for myself was that I had no, um, no idea what money is really. I had no, no background in economics, um, no idea about monetary history, and. I, I, I didn't take Bitcoin seriously as a money at first, but I thought it's just a technology and a technological invention, which it is. And I made the same mistakes as uh, many others made as well. And I thought that um, Bitcoin is like the first version of something and something better will come along, so to speak. But I didn't understand um, how important for a system like Bitcoin, um, the immaculate conception is, for example, you if you if you want to build something that really holds water on its own and can't be manipulated and can't be controlled, it must not have a leader and it must not have um, any components in it that can be controlled by a small number of people. And I completely misunderstood what Bitcoin is and what it is supposed to be for the first. Yeah, a couple of years. And yeah, I think it was a, a gradual progress for me. Um, I was more and more convinced that most of the other projects um, 
were actual scams and money grabs, uh, which I think they are. And I, I uh, like many others as well, I thought, yeah, well, maybe there are some other things that are viable as well. And maybe you can do some other interesting things. But um, the more I studied it and the longer I looked into it, um, I became convinced that it's, first of all, that money is a winner-takes-all phenomenon. If the money is good enough, it will absorb most of uh, like pretty much all of the value like it's not even a Pareto distribution it's it's worse than that <laughs> like um uh, um yeah since everything is fighting for liquidity ultimately one good will suck up all the value in the market um, pretty much and i th i think also that um i i understood over time that separating money and state we will probably have one shot at it and um it's it's too important an issue to kind of um not take it seriously and and try to like i think a lot of people misunderstand what's really going on and they try to make it a little bit better on one front and make it a little bit more usable and make it a little bit more marketable and uh, just try to reinvent the wheel so to speak and they don't realize that bitcoin can do everything that needs to be done and uh, the most important thing is that it will survive and it can't be shut down and everything else is not important like if you if you think you're doing something better than bitcoin um just wait until the government attacks you and will shut down your project if your project can't be shut down or can't be influenced in any other way it's not important it's nothing new and I think most people misunderstand that, and I misunderstood that as well. And so for me, it was definitely a process and um, understanding, understanding the history of money and understanding um, basically the political motivation behind it that helped a lot. And um, I am eternally grateful for people like Pierre Rochard and Michael Goldstein for the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute and also for Seyfi Moose, uh, who really helped me to understand the more nuanced issues behind Bitcoin. And I, I wouldn't have learned it and understood it so quickly if those people wouldn't have created these resources. And this was also one motivation to pay it back and pay, for, pay it forward and um, pretty much write down what I've learned in a digestible fashion. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, like a few years back, there are not many resources to understand difference between Bitcoin and shitcoins. But if uh, in today's world, if you are not aware of these differences, then I think you are responsible because there are a lot of good resources out there from where you can learn about all these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it also, the whole conversation and the understanding and uh, especially the understanding of Bitcoin, it evolves over time. And we can see already that words like sound money and fiat money, they are now in the general population. And uh, people on CNBC will throw around words like it's fiat money and this is really sound money and quantitative easing versus the quantitative hardening of Bitcoin and stuff like that. So uh, I think we, we should not... Yeah, exactly. They talk about the stock to flow ratio and other things. So I think we should not underestimate the importance of um, just yeah uh, throwing out these nuggets of wisdom and uh, help try to help people 
understand it, you never know who you're going to reach and who you're going to influence. Even though only a couple hundred or a couple thousand people might read your Medium article or, or your book or whatever it is. But uh, I think it really helps to move the conversation forward. And we're already at the point now where I believe a, a critical... Um, well, a critical mass of at least the people that are interested in those kind of things, they truly understand the difference between sound money and easy money and understand the difference between Bitcoin and fiat money, for example. And that's really important. Yeah, for sure. And do you think like shitcoins will exist forever? Even in Bitcoin world, there will be a lot of shitcoins and shitcoiners? <laughs> um, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it's another good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think they, they will probably exist for, uh, forever since we, we always had shitcoins, you know, like uh, Seyfedean <laughs> likes to say like silver was the original shitcoin. And, um, you know, we, we also had people dealing in copper and other, uh, um, other precious metals. And um, I think we, we will always have kind of that. The, 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 I think the more interesting question is, uh, will it be important? And I, I think in in Bitcoin terms, everything else will trend towards zero. So you you will have those kind of shit coins, but uh, I, I think you will also have utility tokens, quote unquote, just like we have utility tokens today. You know, you have like your Amazon gift cards and your Walmart gift cards, and uh, you have gift cards for the ice cream shop around the corner. You know, um, you, you will always have these kind of things but they're not really meaningful and useful in in the broader sense i mean you know amazon is such a a, a large company and has such a monopoly <laughs> that you you can think of amazon gift cards as uh, some kind of money but even amazon will go bankrupt i think that i think that is something that most people underestimate and i think that's uh uh, it really helped me to understand what Bitcoin is. Like Bitcoin is an unkillable thing. It's an idea. It's 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 open source software. And, and one defining characteristic of open source software is that it's not bound to a company, so it cannot be killed. If it is useful, I think that's also why Linux has one. And um, if if it is useful, there there will always be people that push it forward, that work on it, that work on it for free. Even. And I think you know in in those kind of um, environments slow and steady tends to win the race there is a reason why linux won in the end and linux like it dominates the computing world completely and i think we will see the same thing play out in terms of money in the next 10 or 20 years something like that i think it, it won't even take 20 years my, my timeline is still kind of 10 years and and i think we will we will have alternatives like we have we will have shit coins as well but i think they just they, they they won't matter at all yeah yeah that makes sense okay so i wanted to ask this question if you don't mind so why you decided to stay and no no hide behind this name Rajiji? is is there some reason <laughs> behind it <laughs> yeah um so gg is actually my my real name um sort of <laughs> like everyone calls me gg so it was a, a a natural choice for me also the the um it's just my twitter handle and always was and uh, uh i i stuck to it <laughs> in the bitcoin world as well but i i actually um i plan to to write about this a little bit because i think it's it's an interesting topic in the bitcoin world um i think it is very important to understand that bitcoin doesn't require identity and that people can be anonymous not only not only in using the network of course but also in um, just pushing the conversation forward. We have a lot of 
pseudonymous people that are um, very insightful. I mean, Plan B, for example, comes to mind, or Hasu, or Budion, even though, you know, if you really want to find out Budion's name since he founded the company, you can't find out. But still, there are a lot of people that choose to be pseudonymous, and I think that's important. And I, I chose to be pseudonymous as well. But to be honest, you know, if you're involved full-time in Bitcoin, it gets harder and harder over time because you you will end up going to meetups and conferences and uh, uh, you, you need to have almost perfect OPSEC for it to work like 6102 Bitcoin does for example like you're, you're, you're not allowed to share a picture of you uh, like of yourself you're not allowed to um, appear on port- podcasts and share your voice and everything like if you do anything like that uh, you will end up doxing yourself in a way but um, I, I, um, I choose to stay there gg and <laughs> i'm gg anyway so it's easy for me and if you if you find out my real name at one point in time so be it so i'm i'm not doing that because i'm afraid of the government or afraid of uh, being mugged or anything like that I, I just do it to highlight the importance of pseudonymity in bitcoin and in on the internet in general i think identity is prismatic and uh, we must not forget that there are other identity models than facebook tries to push you know like facebook tries to push that you have one identity and there is only one you and uh, everything needs to be tracked and everything has to be bound back to your one identity and i think that's complete nonsense like you you should be able to switch your identity you should be able to speak anonymously you should be able to use a pseudonym if you like to like even if it's just for a while you should be able to pop up and build a reputation and if you're not interested in bitcoin anymore for example you should be able and allowed to disappear and i think that's very important because in the end it's about the idea and it's not it's not about the people per se yeah yeah it's not about the personality but the ideas for sure okay so i know uh, okay this question i know it is very hard to describe but to sum it up in a brief way what you have learned from Bitcoin, or I would say, how Bitcoin changed you? <laughs> that was actually the question that led to to me writing a book, that led me to me writing Twenty One Lessons. <laughs> so a thorough answer would be <laughs> to <laughs> get the, get your hands on the book and, and read it from cover to cover. But in in essence, hmm, uh, it's <laughs> it's funny. I I. Um, since writing it, like since two years now or so, I I haven't thought about it again in that way. So uh, let me try to to answer it with a fresh perspective. Hmm. I I think <laughs> I I think w- what I've learned is that um, hmm. I I think you know it's hmm. it it has definitely changed me in that way that I was very pessimistic and nihilistic before I discovered Bitcoin and um, realizing that the money is broken in the world and that there's actually something you can do about it made me very optimistic. And I think just having Bitcoin in it alone, the, uh, the fact that someone thought it up, was able to implement it, was able to release it, was able to um, bring it to fruition and and was able to nurture it for the first couple of months and years. So it became a beast that really can't be stopped. Um, I think that's a very hopeful thought that you can, if you put your mind to it, really change the world and really make things better. And I think that's 
that's one of the most important lessons I, I think that I've I've learned from Bitcoin. My my usual answer uh, and the answer that I gave in twenty one lessons was that um, I have learned that that you can't change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin will change you. And uh, I think that's very important as well. And it relates to changing your time preference and it relates to so many things. Just realizing that, with, uh, that, Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is something that you have no influence over and you can't change and you have to kind of live in symbiosis with this, this organism. I think that's a profound realization and it will, it will change you over time once you realize that. Yeah, for sure. And I think Bitcoin changed a lot of things around us also, like low time preference, it changed our eating habits and everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's one of the most fascinating things yeah. that uh, once people realize what kind of things are broken and uh, um, lower their time preference, it will change your view on, uh, as you said, like what you eat here, uh, also your view on health and people... I've seen it over and over again. Like people will switch their habits and uh, tend to live, try to live healthier and eat better and um, stay away from fiat food. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's 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 really interesting how how this is connected. Like that that was very surprising for me. Um, that uh, I wouldn't have thought that things like that are even connected, but they definitely are. And we see yeah. it over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay, so you you also compared Bitcoin with exponential technologies like internet and electricity. So what do you think they have in common? Yeah, I think the most obvious thing that they have in common is that they are networks and networks um, have in, inherently exponential effects. Like a network in general becomes more useful the more people join it. Um, having one telephone in the world or one fax machine isn't very useful. But if other people have telephones, then you can suddenly call other people and it becomes exponentially more useful the more people join. And it's the same for pretty much every every grid, every network. Um, uh, like it's, it's obviously very useful for communication technologies um, that more people are on it and you have very strong network effects in, in those regards. And Bitcoin is the same, you know, like the more people that use it and the more people that have Bitcoin, uh, the easier it will be to find other people that uh, exchange goods and services for Bitcoin. And um, I think it can take off very, very quickly. I think we see it over and over again. We have these kind of network effects where some, it, it you know, uh, things, uh, as they say, things grow very gradually and then everything is happening all at once so gradually then suddenly and i think um it's it's very obvious that bitcoin became more useful over time as well um uh, my good friend husband cook talks about that all the time as well that bitcoin um goes through these phases and after every phase bitcoin is more useful than it was before it's it's more useful because there are more more on ramps and off ramps um there are better technologies that allow you to um hold your bitcoin savings in a more secure way for example there are better technologies that allow you to transact easier and quicker quicker like lightning and there are better wallets and better backups and stuff like that and i think we we will continue to see this feedback loop of um, a growing network effect since the network is growing. Um, uh, of course, the token will accrue value as well. So Bitcoin will become more valuable. It will be more uh, um, 
more useful as a savings technology. It will be more useful overall. It will be um, easier to use as well. And I think this feedback loop um, will will just continue as we see, for example, um, we still see the feedback loop of, of the internet, for example, continue as well. The internet, the last 20 or 30 years, it became more useful just every year, pretty much. <laughs> and more and more people are, are uh, getting onboarded on the internet. And we still have like, uh, I don't know, like 1.5 billion people or something um, that uh, will that will get online in the next couple of years. And uh, so this, all of those trends still continue. And for Bitcoin, I think as well, it will continue for yeah, the, ne the next 10 years at least. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and if you compare it to internet, what do you think, which year we are in? Do you think we are in 1990s? <laughs> yeah, I... Um, I think I wrote that we are in the early nineties, uh, early nineties in twenty-one lessons. Um, it's it's very hard to pin to pin down. Um, I think again that um, it, in general we can see that all those technologies, the adoption of these technologies speeds up over time as well. It took a very long time for. Um, a railroad system, for example, to develop. It took a very long line for, uh, time for an electricity grid to develop, and, and uh, but it, but it it was shorter already. <laughs> and then it it took some time for a telephone system to develop, but this was short as well. It took some time for the internet to develop, and that was short as well. And then we come to smartphones, for example. And smartphones, I don't know if you experienced that as well, but I I remember it very very vividly um, that the <laughs> when the first smartphones popped up, everyone was like, "I don't need that. That's that's bullshit. Who who will need a smartphone? Like they're slow and and, and nothing really works on it. And it's it's just a play thing." And like three years later or so, everyone had a smartphone. <laughs> yeah. Just like internet and, and it, emails like, and everything. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It was it was very similar for for email and having a a, a private homepage or something like that. And yeah. and and if you look at at something at, at some of the apps, for example, if you look at at WhatsApp, um, it, it suddenly was everywhere, or even more extreme, like uh, TikTok, for example, now. Um, uh, from never having heard of TikTok to TikTok having like a billion users or something, <laughs> that was like a year. <laughs> and uh, I feel like everything speeds up in, in, uh, in technology in general. And um, I think that's... I think that's very bullish for Bitcoin as well, because I think all, all it really needs is um, just some more um, like incremental improvements, and then it will need just one one app that integrates it beautifully, and uh, suddenly Bitcoin will be ubiquitous. And I think that we can see the first steps in in that direction already. If we look at um, Square, for example, if we look at the Cash app, uh, it's the number one app in the in in the like the number one finance app in the world, and they integrated uh, a possibility to buy and now even uh, DCA and uh, just <laughs> recurringly stack sets. And um, it's just in everyone's hands now. And that's, that's 
that's something that's very powerful because we have all this infrastructure in terms of electricity and internet and mobile phones and the whole app infrastructure and the app stores and everything. And now rolling out something like Cash App is kind of easy. You know, you don't have to build it from the ground up. Like you don't have to start with <laughs> laying <laughs> cables in the ground. And I think that's extremely bullish and everything can happen very quickly for that reason. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And uh, where you see Bitcoin's future? So just like internet, there are a lot of things which are built on top of internet. So you do you see a lot of things uh, or maybe say on other layers or side chains which are built on top of Bitcoin going forward? Hmm, that's, that's another good question. Um, it's very hard to, to tell. It's because I think uh, even though a lot of insightful people in the 70s and 80s, they were largely correct about the direction the internet was going in terms of we will have a lot of e-commerce and we will have virtual meetings like we two are having right now and we will have telepresence and we will have virtual reality and stuff like that. But um, it, it everything turned out kind of differently as well, you know, like having a global hive mind with uh, Twitter or even sites like Reddit and uh, having something that kind of influences politics and public opinion in the way that that, uh, that it obviously does right now. Um, even having something as mundane as um, uh, uh, podcasts and audiobooks, for example, I think it's very transformational, you know, and uh, it's, it's, uh, there, are some, there are always some side effects that are really hard to predict. And I think it will be similar for Bitcoin. I think most people that think about Bitcoin's future will be largely correct. I think it will be I think it will be the money of the future. I think it will be the global base layer of society. I think it will be a global settlement system that will be used by something that is approximating banks. I think it's obvious that the base chain won't scale for normal people and all transactions. I think that normal people will have to use something like Lightning or even Layer 3 technologies. Um, maybe we will see more side chains. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not super bullish on sidechains. I'm, I'm bullish on other projects that are built on Bitcoin. Um, I think what Microsoft is doing in the identity space with Project Ion is kind of interesting. I think we will see more projects like that. Um, I really love Open Timestamps, for example, which is another system that is anchored in the Bitcoin blockchain that um, basically does um, proof of existence of, of online documents and uh, tweets and stuff like that. And I think we will... We will see some su surprising developments as well. And uh, I think we already saw some surprising de developments. Uh, like um, in the last couple of years, we already saw some things where um, I, I didn't think that we will, that the Bitcoin space will go in that direction. But now we have Lightning and we have things like Juggernaut that um, builds, that uses the, the payment protocol and builds messaging on top of it so you can not only send money but attach messages to it and so it's it's basically a whatsapp that you have to pay for <laughs> and, and i think that all, all, all those kind of things are really interesting and we also see um uh, again on lightning um ideas around authenticating yourself um using your lightning note and uh, so we see improvements and innovations in the identity space that are that are really purely build on Bitcoin and wouldn't be possible without Bitcoin. But it's it's already separating itself from the main idea of, of just being money in a way. And I think all of those are interesting. And who knows what kind of 
um, smart and funny and interesting things people come up with, I think you can do all kinds of interesting things. And it's, again, it's really hard to predict. But I think the, the main use cases, as um, Satoshi laid them out, basically, I think they're obvious. And I also think that they are happen. And that is, um, um, the first one is basically fixing the money, like uh, having something that doesn't rely on trust having something that can't be inflated, having something that doesn't support bailouts, having something that can't be printed out of thin air. And the second one is having micropayments and having something like uh, Andreas talked about it a lot back in the day, like streaming money, where you pay for every byte or you pay for every message or you have you you finally destroyed a abhorrent model that the internet is currently based on. Um, it, it's based on stealing user data and selling user data and basically spying on you and based on advertisements. And all of that could be rebuilt on a sound monetary basis and integrating micropayments in the system. And it, it wasn't too long ago where you know you would just pay a small amount for getting a newspaper, for example. And you could definitely think of systems that return to those um, sounder ways of doing things. And I would really look forward to, to um, yeah, helping come that to fruition. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, I, know, I know it's too far, but have you ever imagined what Bitcoin will look like, let's say, in 1,000 years? And I know it's very, very, very long way to go <laughs> and predict, but if, if you believe it's better than gold, it should live that long, right? And do you think people will listen to this conversation maybe a thousand years from now <laughs> oh that would be definitely fun <laughs> oh, <laughs> i would i would i would part with quite a few of my satoshis just to see what the future would be like in a thousand years <laughs> so <laughs> i uh, i'm not sure if it's possible to think that far ahead i mean um you know on the other hand a thousand years isn't that long you know it's like 10 really old people back to back. So it's, it's not that long. It's, it's not outrageously long. And um, I like speaking about it now, it, it, it seems like such a long time, but in, in general, I don't see why Bitcoin shouldn't be around in a thousand years. Um, it, it would make perfect sense in my mind. Also, just given the fact that um, the boot the bootstrap phase of Bitcoin is like over a hundred years, you know. So, just until the block subsidy runs out, it's it's over a hundred years. So, it it wouldn't even be a long time in Bitcoin terms, you know. It's just if you think of the bootstrap phase as uh, its adolescence, <laughs> then Bitcoin will will be be an old man. But it's <laughs> I don't think it will be that. So, hmm, how it how it will look like? I think. I really think that Bitcoin will be invisible quite soon, like way before it will be a thousand years old. And I think it will continue, like if civilization doesn't collapse, um, uh, which I think is quite likely that our, our civilization kind of collapses in the next thousand years. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> don't, okay, so do you think we will collapse in a thousand years? But, <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think, you know, the current climate shows that we have some instabilities. And I think, um, you know, just like the ancient civilizations, um, like the Greeks and Rome and other, like uh, uh, Egypt, for example, um, we had some really great advanced civilizations that had 
um, insanely complex societies and a lot of wealth and they build a lot of yeah great and beautiful things and um, uh, they collapsed eventually as well um, the problem I see with with talking about collapses that we kind of have a global society so if our society collapses it 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 probably will be a global collapse which is kind of scary um it's it's yeah it's really hard to tell um it, a lot of people think along these lines that uh we're like <laughs> two minutes away from catastrophe i mean we still have nuclear warheads primed um, to destroy the world, I don't know, a thousand times over probably. Uh, we just saw a global pandemic or what many people believe to be a global pandemic. At least it, le it led to a global economic sh shutdown. Um, we, we are overdue for a super volcano. We are overdue uh, for a meteor strike. <laughs> we are overdue for a really deadly killer virus. Um, we are overdue for economic collapse as well. We are overdue for so many things. So... Um, I think like it wouldn't surprise me if the the current civilization we take for granted will be heavily disrupted or even um, yeah collapse to something that isn't recognizable in a couple hundred years, let alone a thousand years. But <laughs> to to answer your original question, um, if if we have some like. If, if everything goes well, you know, and Elon Musk succeeds and we colonize Mars and we terraform Mars and we will have a multiplanetary species. <laughs> First of all, on Mars, we would have to bootstrap another Bitcoin anyway because uh, the Bitcoin's block time is 10 minutes and the light radius um, to Mars is uh, like the, the, the time it takes for information to travel between Mars and Earth, it doesn't play well with a 10-minute block time. Yeah, so I think, I think there, there's an awesome piece. wrote an article about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's what I that's that's what I was thinking about. So if you want to learn more about multiplanetary Bitcoin, then Drew's work is definitely one of the best works there is out there. Um, so if if everything works out really well. Um, then I think we will still have electricity, we will still have the internet, and we'll, we will still have Bitcoin. And it will just be inv invisible, just like the internet is today. You know, like everywhere you go, you have just Wi-Fi and everything just works out of the box. And I think in the future, everywhere you go, you will be able to uh, pay with Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin will just be used just like TCP IP is used today. And if we go with the more apocalyptic scenario, I hope that we will have some archivars and I hope that we will have, you know, at least a couple of nodes <laughs> that are still running in a museum yeah. somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I, I, I thought about those things a couple of times uh, because, uh, you know, also in the Star Wars universe, they don't have, they don't, they don't have money anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an yeah. interesting thought as well. Like how, how could you even structure society if you don't have money? Like if you discover free energy, for example, and you have replicators, so you don't need to produce anything anymore. You can just, press a button and it will pop out of the replicator um so, so that's an interesting thought but you know time yeah but 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 still you know time is scarce and uh human labor is still scarce so i i, I tend to think that and maybe replicators are still scarce you know but you, you come into all kinds of weird ideas <laughs> and um 
So <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it's it's insanely hard to predict what's going to happen in the future. You know, in in the current political and technological climate, I'm not even sure what is going to happen in the next two or three years. So the next thousand years are are they're going to be wild in any way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because what is your your personal goal with Bitcoin, and when you will consider Bitcoin a win in your lifetime? And um, what was the second part of the question? I didn't the second part it, was like in your lifetime when you will consider Bitcoin a win, like Bitcoin won, like when it replaces fiat oh, currencies majorly yeah. or something like that. Hmm. I think I, I have I have somewhat of a controversial opinion about it. I think Bitcoin has already won. <laughs> I think not everyone realized it yet, <laughs> but I think I think personally Bitcoin is already a success, and I think Bitcoin has already won. I think it's. I think it's big enough. I, I really don't want to jinx it, but uh, I think it's big enough already and I, I think it can't be stopped. So in that sense, I think it has already won. I think in that sense, also Bitcoin is inevitable from now on. So I think it will just assert itself on the world. I think the the, uh, the reality that um, we now have a free competition on the free market of the soundest money the best money the world ever had versus everything else, I think it will just t take time to play out. And uh, the first part of your question was uh, what my personal goal is with Bitcoin or in Bitcoin. And that's that's another good one as well. I think um, my problem is, is that after so many years, I still can't get Bitcoin out of my head and I'm still kind of obsessed. So I, I might as well um, take it every day and put it to good use and do the best I can to educate others about Bitcoin and um, to think about it, to write about it, to try my best to understand it. And since I have a tech background and uh, I'm a, a somewhat capable coder as well, I hope to contribute to the ecosystem in that way as well. Um, the last couple of years, I mainly focused on understanding and condensing that understanding and writing about it. And I hope that the next uh, 10 or 20 years or how, how, however long I, <laughs> I might be useful. <laughs> so I hope I, I, I seriously hope longer than that. So maybe it will be the, the next fifty years. Even uh, I hope to, yeah, continue to write code and words for Bitcoin and just, um, um, yeah, may, maybe you know, in in ten or twenty years, it will be so ubiquitous that, uh, uh, um, yeah, I might uh, focus my energies on, on on something else. But I think for the next ten years, at least, I. Uh, my goal would be to um, help other people understand what this thing really is and also contribute to open source projects and to software as best as I can. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, so uh, what do you think is the biggest fail you have seen in the Bitcoin world till now? The biggest fail I have seen in the Bitcoin world? <laughs> hmm. Oh, there are so many fails. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the biggest fail hmm, I, I think hmm, that's, that's hard to answer it's, it's, another, it's another great question but I'm not sure how to answer it because in a way every single fail in Bitcoin was also a win because everything, everything that happened it also made Bitcoin stronger like one huge fail for example was Mt. Gox and, but, but, but that just 
it, it taught everyone how important it is to to hold your own private keys and um that's how we get to not your keys not your coin you know like not your keys not your bitcoin so i think every every single fail i i will be able to list also has something good in it and i think that's really interesting because also every attack on bitcoin it it, it makes it strong it is a truly anti-fragile system like it it thrives on everything um that on everything bad that is happening to it and uh, a close second or, or the first thing that popped into my mind was of course um the block size debate and the civil war we had and um the resulting bcash fork and uh, and everything else so you could also see say that this was a big fail um, at one level of analysis but but at another level of analysis it also made bitcoin stronger and we had this debate now you know like it's the market resolved it and i think a lot of thinkers and a lot of arguments were had and i think we resolved this debate and um i think it it yeah it it is hard to think of something that was like a 100% fail because there's always something good that, that comes out of it. And I think, for example, with, with the block size de debate and the civil war, um, we discovered some bad actors and people that were acting in bad faith very early on. And I would rather have it that way than um, having them trying to fuck with Bitcoin at a later stage. And I, th I think, you know, the immune system hardened. And I think... It made Bitcoiners more aware of um, remaining vigilant. And I think I, I also like the idea that um, popped up in, in the last couple of months or years that you can't really have heroes in Bitcoin. You, you, you need to be prepared to slay your heroes, as Matadel likes, likes to say. And we, we see it over and over again. Like we, uh, the last very prominent example was Trace Mayer that... Um, for whatever reason turned or maybe it was just an awesome an awesome exit strategy you know yeah, <laughs> try try to shill try to shill a horrible shit coin and yeah. and and that's that's your that's your uh, move to disappear yeah. so i don't know um i uh, again as i said i think bitcoin is already hugely successful i, I think bitcoin is already, already won and i'm very hard pressed to find a large fail that was a 100% fail. I think yeah. pretty much everything that happens is good for Bitcoin. So <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It, it is a lot anti-fragile than anything. Yeah. Okay. It's, so what do you think are the potential threats to Bitcoin apart from government inter interventions? Hmm, that's, yeah, that's, that's such a thing again. Um, I, I don't even think the government intervention would be such a huge, a huge threat. I think if large governments would ban it, I, I think it would just show how important Bitcoin is and it would make the value proposition even stronger. Um, important, the largest threats, I mean, I, I, I obviously thought about it a lot and um, it's, it's really hard to find something that Bitcoin can't overcome because even if you, even if you find a way, for example, to break a technical part of the system, like to, um, to, to find um, collisions, for example, uh, in uh, SHA-256, um, you, you could always work around it. And it's also set up in a way that it's really hard. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it, it uses so many neat technical tricks that it really doesn't have like one, um, 
one point of failure, even on the technical side, like like not not even on the on the network side, but also on the algorithm and technical side of things. So I think the 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 biggest threat probably is apathy that people don't care about it and people don't understand it. And that's also why I think education is so important. But I'm I'm not that worried about it anymore because uh, thanks to recent events, you know, we have the money printers go wild and all like, the governments help us tremendously. Like it's really easy to make a case for Bitcoin now. You know, it's just <laughs> the, the fiat currencies get more more shitty every day, <laughs> and and just everything is going haywire in the in the world. And so I think it's really easy to make a case for Bitcoin now. Um, um, but I, I also think that we must not, uh, yeah, be complacent. We always have to stay vigilant because I, um, I, I'm still kind of disappointed with the internet in many ways because the internet kind of changed in the last 10 or 15 years or so. And it's now basically controlled by um, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. And there are many people that don't know the internet um, outside of Facebook, for example, and everything they use is controlled by one or two companies. And I think we have to be vigilant that the same thing doesn't happen to Bitcoin. And I think um, we, we can learn a lot from the history of the internet because obviously we had a lot of very slow but steady government intervention in the internet as well. Um, I mean, we have constant attacks on net neutrality and now we have upload filters in the European U Union, for example. We have the Great Firewall in China. Um, we have uh, we have deep packet inspection by the NSA and other, other major players. And all of that messes with the, with the root idea of the internet. And I think even though it's way 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 harder to manipulate bitcoin i think we have to be vigilant and eternally vigilant um that people don't undermine bitcoin in a similar fashion and and i think it's good that um we see exchanges failing for example i i, I would really hate to see um the pure kyc controlled bitcoin take over in the, in the next couple of years i think it's really important that bitcoin stays true to its nature and this uh, samurai for example uh, likes to say you know it's bitcoin for the streets it's uh, like um pure and unintermediated peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash and you can just use it without having any government mandated id like identity as i said in the beginning is not required at all and um i think bitcoin has a better chance to not being undermined by the internet and i also think that for example if the internet continues to be undermined i think bitcoin would also find a way around that i think bitcoin uh, obviously is used on the internet now because the internet is the best communication medium we have but um keep in mind that bitcoin doesn't really require the internet you can use any communication medium to send bitcoin transactions and to propagate blocks and so on and i mean people already do you know you can uh, use satellite networks you can re use radio networks and you can use other means of communication so i'm i'm very bullish overall and i think also that bitcoin is even more important than the internet um in a sense because communication is one thing but but money for society is even, even more important yeah and i think cyberpunks tried to build internet in this way imagine you know writing cyberpunk manifesto in 1992 and now everything is true yeah <laughs> consider cyberpunk failed moment or do you think they won by producing technologies like bitcoin 
Yeah, um, I think it's it's completely fascinating if you go back and uh, read the works of the early cypherpunks and how accurate they were with so many things. And um, I think, hmm, I, th I think I think we're kind of living in two parallel societies in general and especially online. You know, on the one hand, we have um, the closed gardens of Facebook and Apple and other things. And there are a lot of people that use exclusively that. And with other people um, like you and me and many Bitcoiners, they don't touch, like they don't live inside this space at all. So, so, so cyberspace doesn't, doesn't necessarily equal cyberspace. And the, the, the dream that the cypherpunks dreamed up in the 70s and even before that, um, I think it is true now. We, we have all these technologies and you can be anonymous online um, as, as we've seen with Edward Snowden, for example. I mean, uh, encryption truly works and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And you can have multiple identities and you can stay completely anonymous and you can use tools that allow you to communicate in a perfect and private fashion and you can use untraceable cash online and so on um, most people are still unaware of those facts and i think um i really like the idea of uh, um alex Swetsky. He, he talked about it a couple of times that you you either learn through curiosity or through pain <laughs> and i think this is true for all these tools as well you either like today you either use bitcoin because you're really curious or you have to. And I think it's also true for encryption technology and uh, apps like Signal and stuff like that, because um, if, if, you, if you don't have to and you're not curious, it's perfectly fine to be in your Facebook bubble and uh, just use whatever messenger that Google and Facebook and all the others are spying on you. But if you are a political dissident or a, or a journalist or uh, um, someone who wants to, um, to yeah, publicize government secrets, for example, then you really have to take care about your communications and also your data security in general. Like not having your hard drive encrypted is just, you, it will cost you your life. <laughs> and I think the same is true in the Bitcoin space as well. It, uh, it, it all depends on, on circumstances. So I think that this, the, the cypherpunks, they were spot on. I think they were spot on with their analysis of strong cryptography how it will change society and i think we will we will continually see this phenomenon play out and i again would like to point people towards the sovereign individual who lays it out very very clearly how how these kind of technologies empower individuals and change societies in the pro, uh, in the progress and um i think that they I, I think the cypherpunks, if they failed at anything, I think they underestimated the. I think they underestimated the, the, the greediness of many people and, and companies, and how people and data can be exploited, and the rise of Google and Facebook, for example. I think they they underestimated that in a way, um, but I think also that this might be just a phase, you know, um, that you have these monopolies now, but. Uh, Again, I always like to point out that no company lives forever. It doesn't matter how large the company is. 
companies always die. <laughs> and since the internet is not a company, but a protocol, I think the internet will outlive all these companies. The, the internet will outlive uh, Google and Facebook and Microsoft and, and all the rest and even Amazon, <laughs> even though it's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> think about it now, but I'm, I'm confident that the internet will outlive Jeff Bezos and Amazon. <laughs> and I think the same is true for Bitcoin as well. And I think Bitcoin will outlive all the exchanges and all the mining companies and all the hardware manufacturers and everything else. So, um, yeah, I I hope also that the analysis of the current cypherpunks is correct. And I think most of them are still extremely bullish on Bitcoin and on sound money in general. And um, I, I believe that in, in another 50 years or so, when we look back, I think that a lot of people that um, had a more philosophical analysis of Bitcoin today, I think it will turn out that they were right as well, just as the cypherpunks were right in the 70s. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so last question before we wrap it up. What are your some of your favorite blog posts or articles? <laughs> you ask some really good questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it's another one. It's another one that's really hard to to answer because I, I obviously I've I've read so many. Um, hmm. I think I I like to I like to revisit the original sources and uh as you mentioned the writings of the the cypherpunks as well like uh cypherpunks manifesto and uh i'm i'm currently rereading um true names for example by Werner vinci which isn't exactly a blog post but it's a book <laughs> but uh, in terms of blog posts um on, on from the top of my head i i, I really yeah I, I really like basically everything that is listed on bitcoin resources was really influ influential for me and um i think the best article still um that summarizes why bitcoin is so important is the bullish the bullish case for bitcoin and there's so many yeah there's there's so many great yeah <laughs> there's so many great thinkers in the space um, Budion comes to mind. He really gets right why Bitcoin can't be banned and why Bitcoin isn't exactly many, but it's it's more it's more a protocol and uh, more a messaging system than anything else. And if you if you on the legal level treat it as money per se, then um, you end up going down a slippery slope that you actually don't want to go down to because then whatsapp and other things will be money as well you know it's 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 a really good argument and um i i love i love all the work by brandon quidham um it was uh very enlightening to see the um yeah the biological metaphors used for bitcoin um, um there's so many um i i i think yeah, i think uh, i think your website have a lot of them yeah, I think uh, Hugo, um, I can't pronounce his last name, Nugan, I think <laughs> is how it's pronounced. He wrote, he wrote uh, so many awesome articles about proof of work and um, how it is actually the single most important true invention that Bitcoin brought to the table, like bridging the physical world with the digital world i mean granted proof of work was invented before bitcoin but using it in that way to create the sound money is really the invention that you have something that actually solves the oracle problem in a way by just doing away with the oracle problem completely <laughs> and um 
most recently, I think the best stuff that was written about Bitcoin was by Parker Lewis, his uh, yeah. ongoing gradually yeah his ongoing gradually and suddenly series i think he wrote now 14 pieces or something and he's still going strong and obviously nick sabo uh, shelling out was very influential for my thinking as well and he wrote a lot about social scalability and uh, uh he he had m many many great um insights one thing that was insanely important for my understanding of bitcoin was uh, a piece by i think he's called gregor trubetskoy or something like that or gregory um bitcoin is a decentralized clock um he he was the first one who articulated that very clearly it's if once you know it it's very obvious when you read through the white paper um i think you know uh, the only thing that satoshi talks about and and and, uh, <laughs> is how it is a, a distributed timestamping system <laughs> and the first time i read the white paper it's just like yeah okay but once you understand it's, it's really about um measuring time uh um, without without using any clocks in a decentralized system then it, it really clicks that this thing is actually a decentralized clock and that, that was one piece that was very influential in my thinking um what else? Nick Carter wrote some awesome pieces. Hasu wrote uh, some great works very early on. Um, um, who else? Uh, there are so many. There are just too many. Uh, go to Bitcoin resources and go through the list. That, that is <laughs> what was most uh, influential. And I also think it's important to, to uh, go back to earlier pieces and go back to the Bitcoin forums, for example, and the mailing lists and just do some... Bitcoin archaeology and look at their earliest thoughts of the earliest Bitcoiners. Um, there are many insightful gems to be found there. And I think it's also important to realize that even though some people are not in Bitcoin anymore and some people even went into shitcoins and other things, they had some very insightful things to say um, at the time. For example, I really like the piece by Daniel Kravitz, which is called Hyper-Bitcoinization. Uh, first of all, I'm a huge fan about <laughs> hyperbitcoinization and the idea in general. And he he wrote he wrote very lucid pieces on Bitcoin. And yeah, he he went into Bcash and is now in BSV. So <laughs> there's that. But I think again, it's not about the the people and the names and the identity. I think it's mainly about the ideas. And I think a lot of people that um, uh, they don't have any anything important to contribute anymore today but maybe they had in the past. And I think it's all, all, always important to go back to the original work. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. So to end, end this up, where people can find you? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter mostly. <laughs> it's still, it's still um, the drug of my choice. <laughs> I'm on Mastodon as well uh, in the uh, Bitcoin Hackers instance. I'm there, GG on Twitter, so D-R-G-I-G-I. -G -I. And uh, if you take my handle and put .com uh, <laughs> at the end of it, then uh, you can see my writings on Bitcoin. And if you want to dive deeper, into my personal rabbit hole journey um then 21 lessons is the best way to do that so you can get the book 21 lessons on amazon you can also read it online for free on 21lessons.com and there is also an audiobook um narrated by guy swan so by bitcoin audible <laughs> and you can get that on audible but you can also listen uh to it on 21lessons.com perfect okay thank you so much for coming on and 
thank you so much for taking the time to do this man yeah thanks for having me Vivek. and those were some great questions so thanks thanks again for having me <laughs>